Welcome to Sports Desk Report by the Daily Emerald. We're here with Elliot right now. We're going to talk about women's soccer first. And then we got Nina coming on with women's volleyball. And Brady and Shane will be talking about football later on. So let's get right into the women's soccer. Uh, the women's team is 3-4-4 four, and four right now. They you know, just had a 4-0 loss to a very highly ranked USC team. Elliot, why don't you take us through that game and just how conference play is going for them so far? Uh, it was a, a 4-0 loss, and USC is a, a real tough team. If uh, if you don't come to play them ready to play and ready to actually pressure them and get in their face, and they're going to punish you. And The Ducks learned that. Um, there were still some bright spots in that game. Uh, freshman Julia Richards stepped in for Leah Freeman, who was suspended, and uh, still recorded 12 saves, which is, I mean, that doesn't reflect in the scoreline, but it's it's pretty impressive. 12 saves seems like they're peppering the goal a lot. Like Yeah, so uh, when you're playing USC, they tend to run directly at you and come from the wings on a diagonal right towards the goal. And Oregon had, they had a nice defensive shape. They had a four back in the line, and what they had in shape, they lacked in pressure. So if you are not getting right in the face of the USC wingers, they're going to come right for your goal and pepper you. But... Even Graham Abel said that uh, none of those goals that uh, Richards or that got scored on Richards were her fault. Mm-hmm. And Freeman is the starting goalkeeper. She got a red card. Was it early on or was it kind of like she had to make up for the defense's mistake? How did it happen? Uh, so she got the red card against UCLA, which okay. is the number one team. That was uh, on Thursday. It was, I think, the 20, 24th minute early on to the game. UCLA got a nice breakaway and... Uh, Leah Freeman had to jump into action and come out of the box, which I've seen her do plenty of times and make the right call and get the tackle and stop the goal. But this time she just a couple seconds off and caught the girl and kind of put her in the air and on back on the turf and uh, got a red card. And that meant she got suspended for the game against USC and also that against the number one team, UCLA, the Ducks had to play with 10 women instead of 11. Mm-hmm. That must have been tough. It was tough, but uh, the Ducks showed a lot of grit, a lot of heart, and lost the game 3-1, but for a majority of that game, even with 10 women, I think they outplayed UCLA. So they outplayed the top team in the nation, or was ranked the number one team in the nation, but you know had a tough time against USC. Just, you know, one of the things you talked about when you wrote the story on Graham Abel was you know their identity was trying to build with aggressiveness but they didn't show that aggressiveness against usc why do you think that happened uh i don't i don't know what it was i think they might have just had an off day but defensively they were letting them run all throughout the box uh the first goal in the U, uh, ucla or not the usc the usc game came from a penalty uh and the i forget the girl's name she was just running through the box and happened to get caught up and tangled off a light foul and then that kind of just opened the floodgate for USC to kind of when it rains it pours you know mm-hmm. so moving on with this team you know coming off a few poor showings but against good teams what are they looking forward to with the rest of conference play uh so I think they really knocked off the big monsters of the Pac-12 in the first three games they faced uh number 15 Washington they faced number one UCLA and then number 20 USC but now USC is ranked number eight so they've got rid of the three-headed monster of the Pac-12 and now it's the rest of the conference play so they're going to Utah 
which they stand even with in the the uh, Pac-12 rankings right now. And if they get a win there, then they're in the top half of the table and still kind of pushing towards the tournament at the end of the season. So uh, just moving on, last thing I want to hit is just some of the features that you you know you wrote the one on the coach, but are there any any other ones you want to hit before the end of the season? Yeah, uh, so Zoe Hasnauer, uh, she's a fifth year, and she just tied uh, the assist record for the program, 18, which is crazy. And I don't think, unless you're like a diehard soccer fan, most people don't really appreciate the art of a good assist. The ability to find space and feed a ball through for your attacker to just put it on a plate and send it home into the back of the net. And Zoe really has that skill. So I really am looking forward to sitting down with her and talking the art of the assist and the way to make passes in the space. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're about, I'd say, three-fifths of the way through the soccer season. This is the first, I guess, real beat you had. You know, you covered track and field. You covered the Worlds. But this is something that, you know, you've just had to yourself how has that experience been like covering the women's soccer beat? Uh, it's been a lot of fun. I, I've been a soccer nerd and a soccer fan my entire life. And just jumping onto a team and becoming a, becoming a follower of them and like learning the stories of every woman on the team, it's, it's really interesting. It, uh, it gives you a different aspect, especially being able to talk to the coaches and the players after the game and really get there their aspects of what happened and pick their minds, you know? All right. Thank you so much, Elliot. Yeah, man. Thank you. Okay, now we're going to bring on Nina. Uh, Nina's, you know, done some beat reporting for the women's volleyball team, and she just recently took up writing for the men's hockey team. Uh, before we move on to hockey, we're going to start with women's volleyball. Uh, volleyball team's looking pretty good, 10-2 and two right now. Uh, their only two losses are to two of the most, you know, highly ranked teams and Penn State, one of the most storied teams. Uh, they start, started off um, conference play undefeated, t- had a good win against Stanford. Just take us through some of their first few games. Yeah, so I would say the two, their two losses they had, like, they were fought hard. Um, they each went to five sets, and they each went into extra points into each set. Um when I talked to Coach Ulmer about it, he he was just like proud of where they were because if this was the team two years ago, they would have been sweeps no matter what. And now we're putting up, so I guess like we are just moving up forward. It's just going from there. Um, now we're into p- uh, conference play or undefeated in conference play. We had a huge game against Stanford. I don't think I've ever been in a, an Oregon stadium besides Austin that's been that loud, especially with it not being in school at the time. Um, it's, it was just rocking from where I was in the media booth. I could feel the student section and I was probably about six or seven rows up. Mm-hmm. And I think that, and that's what also coach Ulmer and the team credited their success to was the en- energy and the environment from the students. And they carried that into the Arizona state game. Um, Arizona state is not as talented as Stanford is, but still like they had, they had their times, um, but the student section brought them back. They they tried freezing them. They tried all this stuff. But it was when the student section started to feel it, that's when everyone else started to feel it. And that's what carried them. That's so cool because I covered volleyball last year when there were no students at all. So just what, what kind of effect do you think that, you know, gives to the team? I think it just, like, builds excitement. You're just playing, like, volleyball now. Whereas, like, when you're covering it, because I watch sports. Like, I covered softball last term. Um, and just watching it from my TV, I could – kind of feel a similar thing of like it just no one's there like 
when the energy is through the roof, it just makes it more fun. It's not, it's still competitive, but it's not like, okay, we need to do this right now. It's more like, we're just going to have fun with it. We know we're talented and we're just going to go with that. Mm -hmm. That's good. Um, And I also feel like this team, you know, you were saying last year's team would have been swept by Penn State and Minnesota. This team is kind of like a mixture of having some of those veterans like, uh, the um the libera what, Gloria what's her? yeah Gloria Murphy yeah. um and some of the young people you know younger players like Hannah Pukas who you wrote about and Mimi Collier so just like what have you seen from the those two types of veterans and I guess freshmen like what have you seen from that mixture so Georgia I was watching her especially during the Arizona State Championship she is agile like she there was not a spot on the floor that she did not cover it it was crazy to watch I have never seen that much athleticism from any volleyball player um hannah pukas she still has triple doubles i feel like every night in the stat columns um insane amount of assists um and i think right now it's just starting to click for them in the beginning they're still a brand new team it was full of freshmen and transfers Um, now they're just starting to click and now it's starting to make sense when i talked to hannah on the phone she said the exact same thing that she was excited for that moment to click and it really showed in the stanford game and now it's just carrying on because they're they're undefeated in pac-12 play what do you think the potential of this team is? I Honestly, a Pac-12 championship. Um, I think just in being in the press conference room with them when they're talking about the game, it's, it seems like that's what they believe, and it's obviously showing on the court as well. If they're putting fights up against Minnesota, um, P- Penn State, and then are still undefeated. So I I, th- I think it's going to be a fun season. I'm excited. Yeah, it seemed like last year they, they could only kind of get consistent points when they went to Brooke Nunaviller. Yeah. But it seems like, you know, she's just another asset, another strength of that team. Is that what it seems like to you? It does, yeah. Um, the freshman Mimi Kohler, she's insane. Um, she she led the team in kills against Arizona State, and she's been named Pac-12 Freshman of the Week four times already. And it's we're just now starting to get to the middle of conference play. Um, so she is... It's still an important. She is an All-American. There's no doubt about um, all the accolades she's received, but it's not just her anymore, which is, I feel like it's a lot of pressure taken off of her, too, that she doesn't have to carry each win. She doesn't have to have an insane amount of stats each night to Mm -hmm. win the game. Yeah, so then moving on to, you know, how you're covering the season as a reporter. Like Elliot, this is your first, you know, beat for the Emerald. How has that experience been like, and what do you what do you want to do with it? It's really fun, and I'm honestly glad I got volleyball because I played volleyball in high school, and I kind of stopped around my sophomore year and then just kind of went on to do different things, and now that I'm back watching the game, it reminded me how fun it is. Um, so I'm, I'm glad I got it. I really do enjoy just sitting and watching. I do catch myself sometimes, like, tapping my foot to the music, and I'm like, there's just the energy in the room. It's there. Um, but now what I'm... I'm trying to be a little bit more creative with it. So in addition to the game recaps, I'm writing like a short story about the team of like if someone was reading a book about this season, what would it be like from my perspective? Or just like if they were in my shoes, what would it be like for them? Just so they can come along with this journey with me um, because it's exciting. The team, I've I've been watching Ducks games since probably around eighth grade. Um, I grew up locally nearby and I've never seen it this exciting before that's so cool well yeah hopefully you know they have the season that you know makes it so those fans you know have fun yeah um and then you you know you talked about uh covering in the the season as a story you know of a book kind of where each game is like a chapter just explain that process and you know why you like it 
Yeah, so I have about four or five different games that I've chosen from the schedule that I will be covering and putting into this piece that I'm writing. Um, I personally am a huge reader. I read all the time whenever I have free time. And so I think it's just, for me, it's an easy way to write just because I do read all the time. Um, but I think it's going to be great for fans because just like I said, like they can be in my shoes. They can be witnessing it if they couldn't make it to games because sometimes their schedules, like they'll play games at noon or stuff like that. And it's kind of hard to watch the games. Um, it's not very accessible to people, especially when they're on the road. Um, I just think it's going to make sure that everyone can be a part of the volleyball team, whether if they can't be at games, they can't be at games. However, one thing I'm curious about, Nina, because I know what it was like last year. But in terms of the quantity of coverage of volleyball, who else is there with you covering it? No one. Um, I, there's a couple Oregon Athletics people who sit right above me. But other than that, no, I have the whole table to myself. That's, you know, that can be a cool experience. Not that that's a great thing for the team. Right. Shouldn't be that way. Cool experience for you because you have the most access. You can do whatever you want mm-hmm. with it. Um, yeah. So that's all I have for you on, on women's volleyball. Let's move on to hockey. Yeah. So has their season officially started? No. So their season, their first game will be Friday. Um, it'll be at home at 7 uh, at the pavilion, which is about a mile away from campus. Yeah. So one thing, you know, that piece you wrote on um, the men's hockey team was one of the best pieces you've written so far for sure. Um, and just a few things that stood out to me are, you know, one, how they're moving up to become a, what's the acronym? ACHA. ACHA Division One team. And that's big for the school because they're not a club team anymore, right? Yeah. So I think financially wise, they are still considered a club team, um, but they have reached the highest level that they can before becoming NCAA certified. So their next step will become a, a school sanctioned. Yeah. And then the other thing that stood out to me is just like, how much of a craze this team is for fans, not just students, but of other athletes. Just what have you seen from that movement of, of people just, you know, falling in love with, you know, rooting for this team? Yeah. So I think a lot of it was last year when people were posting pictures of jerseys, um, they kind of blew up and it led to their jerseys being backstock five months. And th- those jerseys are expensive. They're like 150 bucks. Uh, they're back in stock now. So I looked, I was just curious. Um, so people are spending money and I think it's just one, the jerseys look cool. And hockey's not a sport you see on the West Coast. We have the Portland Winter Hawks, which I didn't really know was a team until I started to get involved in hockey. And then the Seattle Kraken, who came last year. So it's not really huge here, but we do at Oregon have a lot of students from the East Coast that I I ran into. And that's something that they miss is hockey. Um, so I think it's just a way for the university to reach a broader audience of students. What teams do they play? Because I imagine you're not going to go to Arizona and play hockey. They actually do. Wow. Yeah, they have a hockey team. I believe that's who they're playing first. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, a lot of it is East Coast schools, schools in Montana. Um, not all of their home games are in Eugene. They have some home games in Bend and Medford as well. So they just kind of go all around to play um, and then just try to grow the sport in the West Coast. I've seen the jerseys. The jerseys are, you know, they they kind of play off of the movie, The Mighty Ducks, yeah. right? And um, it's a very cool color scheme. Do you think that the jersey has a huge part in, like, bringing the fandom to the team? I think so, yeah. Because I know for me, the Mighty Ducks movies was is a nostalgia from my childhood. And, I mean, obviously students are around my age, so I feel like they had the same experience. And they're just cool in general, too. And like I said, it reaches that broader audience. So I think they, they just have a lot of great things going for them. And this is the fastest I've seen a club team grow, which is exciting. All right. Well, thank you so much, Nina. You have a good one. Of course. Thank you. Right. 
Okay, we're moving on to the last segment of the podcast. Um, we got the Ducks football talk. Ducks are now 5-1. and one. Um, We're bringing on Brady from the Emerald. Brady got to cover his first football game uh, as a sophomore. And we're bringing Shane. Shane is the, the past desk editor, now working. Um, well, Shane, why don't I let you introduce yourself and all your entities? Yeah, for sure. It's, it's good to be back with you guys as well. Um, it's been a while. I've been doing some podcasts, but I haven't been in this lovely studio. Um, I'm kind of just freelancing right now, so I'm, I'm working for the Oregonian, doing some stuff for uh, Portland Tribune, Scorebook, uh, Live, and then also the I-5 Corridor, so a lot of different places. You can check uh, Shane out on all those. You might have to pay a little bit more for the subscription on Oregon Live. Um, but I-5 Corridor, I've been reading all the pieces on there, and they've been pretty good. Um, before we get into talking about those pieces, just quick recap of the game. You know, the Ducks win 45-27. They've caught some steam after losing to Georgia in that first week. Um, just what have you guys seen? Brady, we'll start with you. You were at the game in the press box. What did, what did you see from the Ducks in that game, and how do you think you know they've improved since that first loss? I mean, the defense has come a long way, and obviously you're going to come a long way when you're not playing Georgia anymore and you're getting to play schools like like Stanford, like Eastern Washington. But the the running game is what really impressed me in this particular game. I mean, up until the fourth quarter, when there was a lot of garbage time scores with backup players and Stanford was kind of able to do whatever they wanted, Oregon got a little bit undisciplined, It the Stanford run game was pretty much irrelevant through the first three quarters of the game, and that's been really good, as well as the pocket presence. I mean, Tanner McKee did not look comfortable for most of the game. Yeah, I I think the run game has been a pleasant surprise. You know, we, I think, all expected Cardwell, Byron Cardwell, to be the starter at the beginning of the season. He's been dealing with an ankle injury, and, you know, Bucky Irving has taken over the role. It is still somewhat of a committee. Obviously, Jordan James gets in on the shorter yardage carries, and Noah Whittington has a role. But this is Bucky Irving's role to lose, and he's been. He, I don't think any first tackler took him down in that game. What do, What do you think about that? No, I mean he he's super fun to watch. Um, obviously, like Oregon's had no shortage of exciting running backs, but since since I've been covering the team, he's actually been my favorite to cover because he is so elusive. He's He's small. I mean, he's 5'10", maybe 5'9". He's got braces. He looks like a like a teenager still, right? Um, but he's built for his size. He's he's stronger than, you know, a die, for example. And he's just so elusive. You know, we saw it all game. You've seen it all season, the way he makes guys miss. Um, I want to circle back. Obviously, you mentioned the defense, Brady, and this was their best game so far. I still am not overly impressed with them. I think they have come a long way. But for for maybe where I think a lot of people thought the defense was going to be, I haven't, you know, like I said, I haven't been overly impressed yet. I think the pass rush is still coming along. Like, Brandon Dorless had a great game, obviously. Getting DJ Johnson back in the second half helped. Um, and then also on the back end, I'm just, the safeties still leave a little bit to be desired. So I want to see how the defense progresses. But the offense, I mean, four straight weeks with 500-plus yards been huge. Yeah, Brendan, I want to ask you, you know, Brendan's our producer for this podcast. What's up, everybody? And, uh... Just what have you seen from the defense? And I think, Shane, you put, brought up a great point. I think the secondary is still kind of – there are some question marks outside of Christian Gonzalez, safeties, and the second cornerback. Brennan, what have you seen from the defense in particular? Yeah, I think they're growing, uh, definitely. I like what Shane said about the safeties. Uh, coverage has been a little lax, especially in the flats uh, sometimes. I love what I see of Christian Gonzalez, though. I know they brought him in as a transfer. Expectations were high for him. And, boy, he has just taken over. He's so good. At the line of scrimmage, you know, pressing the receivers, great open field tackler. Um, 
but yeah, I think especially linebackers too, playing east to west a little more. You know, Noah Sewell, he'll be drafted next year. A great gap filler, great against the run, but struggles a little bit in coverage as well. And his lateral lateral movement uh, isn't the best. That that well, that just real quick to to jump in. That kind of brings up one other thing I want to talk about is bosses kind of expanded his role you know we weren't sure if he was going to stay at linebacker if he's going to go back to safety then pretty early on they're like oh he's staying at linebacker but it was still and you know i'm i'm uh I, i've done this as well where i kind of just assumed it was going to be flow and, and sewell and obviously some bossa but flow's been out uh for for a few weeks here now and, and played not too much this season and so bossa with that speed that can you know kind of help him be a better coverage linebacker has kind of kind of blossomed one thing I wanted to mention, Brady, you know, and I were at the game, Brady was talking about Gonzalez a lot. This was the first time that a team actually tested him. Not that it worked for them. I don't think one pass got completed to his side, but Brady was talking a little bit. You know, Brady's from Colorado. You've seen Gonzalez's uh, development from a freshman at Colorado. Just what, what were some of the things you were mentioning about him and to see him get to this point where he is now? I mean, it's, it's been really impressive. I don't have the exact stats on him, but I remember being in Boulder his his first year there, and he was the cornerback that they were testing, and it wasn't going well. Um, he drew a lot of penalties. He didn't give up a whole lot of receptions, but every ball to his side, especially the deep balls, turned into an automatic first down. And it was just incredibly frustrating to watch as a Colorado fan at the time. Then to see him come here with all this, with all this hype around him, this transfer, and I'm like, is, I'm texting my dad. I'm going. Is this the same guy? Is this the same dude that we were just watching getting getting toasted t- two years ago? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, obviously the the stats speak for himself. This year he's been incredible. He was always a good run defender. That was the yes. thing you knew. Oh, for sure. Who's going to transfer? But the coverage has been awesome, and he's flying up draft boards. And you know, Bennett Williams has been a great tackler too. And I think just the thing is, you just like with the combination of like some weaknesses on the back end with the safeties and and the cornerback too. Um, whoever that's going to – it's been Triquez, but, you know, we'll see how long he stays there. Um, and then the the pass rush, like, they were 120th, I think, entering the Stanford game in third down defense in the nation, which is pretty pathetic given the talent because I think that talent is way better than that. And that's not me dumping on the talent or the players there because I think they're way better than that. And I don't even think it's schemes, so it's just like maybe they just need time, right? Um, because for a, for, a, for a program with that much um, in terms of just kind of – institutional knowledge of, of college football defenses on that staff and then just some of the athletes they have, it, it's got to be better than that. And I, I haven't checked the numbers since the Stanford game, but that's been their problem for two years now is with third down defense. Well, one, one thing I noticed within that, within the Stanford game, especially within the first half, on that third down defense, it was all or nothing. Um, through the seven drives that Stanford had in the first half, four of them were a three and out. One of them was the, like the first play fumble that got picked up and ran back, which was which was awesome. But other than that, though, the four three and outs. Outside of those drives, Stanford was able to move the ball pretty well. So Oregon kind of demonstrated this: hey, we're going to stop you in these first three plays, or we might not stop you at all. Which mm-hmm. I think is both lightning and concerning. Right? It's exciting to go. We're off the field really quick, but also that if we're not stopping you in three plays, it's going to be a productive drive. Do you guys think that that might be uh, the reason they're taking the approach they are to offense, kind of ground control, run the ball, take time? Is that to keep the defense on the field because they're worried about getting in those situations? I don't know if it's as much being worried, um, but that's a good point, right? Because like this offense is putting up pretty ridiculous numbers that haven't been seen in several years here. But 
the foundation of it is still a run. It's still a run first offense, especially since Bo Nix has been so successful as a runner. I mean, there's a ton of stats that came out this week after his big, big rushing performance against Stanford, just how efficient he's been, ranking in top five and top tens of a lot of quarterback uh, rushing lists. But it's explosive, and that's where it's different than Crystal offenses. Is they're still taking really deep shots when they have the opportunity. The run game it, it gets the 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 one two three yards when you need it, but it's also 10, 20, 30 when you least expect it sometimes. And so that's what's been so refreshing is that mixed with better game management. And it has, you know, Oregon in this position where, you know, we, we've been doing like little kind of gimmicky power ranking things on, on I-5 court every week. And I've had Oregon now number one for two weeks because I'm the most well-rounded team in, in the conference. And I wasn't sure about that entering the season because of how talented really the top half of the Pac-12 is this year. I think you bring up a good point with the running. I think you know, they have a very balanced offense, the most balanced we've seen in a long time. The deep shots, you know, it wasn't for lack of trying. They just weren't hitting against Stanford. I think we counted 0 for 5, 0 for 6 in the yeah. deep shots where, you know, Nix has been pretty accurate on those. He had, you know, that one big play to Troy Franklin against BYU. And uh, I do think it's balanced. You know, the run game was just working at nine and a half yards of carry against Stanford. And I don't think it was, you know, they were going away from the pass. It was they had a big lead that they were protecting and they were going deep. It just wasn't, you know, being completed. One of the throws to Franklin was pretty bad. He threw it like five yards out of bounds. Um, I yeah, think... he, there's still inconsistencies. Yeah, he is, as good as he's been statistically, there's probably still you want to see, and still some things that maybe worry you because you've got now a really strong-looking UCLA team coming in what two weeks from now, mm-hmm. three weeks from now, I guess. Five weeks, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. In, if you include, you know, we got Arizona next week on the road. And then the Ducks have a bye week, and then the Ducks will host UCLA. Last thing I want to, sorry, hit on before we get into the uh, the pieces is just the penalties. That was a big issue. That was kind of the one thing that kind of brought this from not being a flawless win. Just one thing that I heard today in, uh, at the practice was Troy Franklin was talking about in practice. If you commit a penalty, you're coming off for the play, and you're doing up downs for the amount of yards that you <laughs> that you gave up. And then you're going to go back in if, you know, if you're going back in for the next play. What do you guys think about the penalties and how do you think, you know, Brady, how do you think that'll affect that moving forward? I think that's a good, I think that'll be a good thing. I think that a lot of the penalties that we saw against Stanford were a lot of undisciplined stuff. Um, Why do we have men downfield, illegal men downfield, false starts, holdings? Like this is, this is stuff that should be fairly elementary, stuff that shouldn't be happening. Right. And I think that opposed to, oh, we're getting we're getting sloppy with this. It's just it's it's maddening to see as a fan. Yeah, I mean, 14 penalties for 135 yards is just unacceptable. But I mean, I can't say that I'm totally shocked because it's a new regime. You know, they're bringing in a new coach, a first time head coach in Dan Lanning. Uh, But they're, they're turning it around a little bit. I think definitely, you know, in the press conference earlier when Dan Lanning said, what was it? Uh. You can't participate in shout unless we're up by three touchdowns, four touchdowns, something yeah, like that. Yeah. And then you saw that the players were still on the sidelines. So I think maybe that's something he's trying to build and still in the players a little bit that well, a little more discipline with the football team. And I mean, we'll see if it works. There's still a lot of games left to be played and uh, and room to improve. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I'd add is I'm actually not too worried about the penalties because it hasn't been a thing we've brought up really, you know, until this week with the Ducks. Um, it was it was an alarming amount in that game, but it didn't matter, right? They still were up three, four scores until garbage time, really. Um, but I do want to talk, right. if you guys have a few minutes, to talk about just the Pac-12 because I've had a lot of fun just watching 
you know, I'm not an Oregon fan per se. I'm not a Pac-12 fan per se, but because I cover Oregon, I watch a lot of the Pac-12, and it's been really fun to watch this year because of these transfer quarterbacks like a Bo Nix, um, like a Michael Penix, um, and all these other guys, right? And then also some mainstays that have developed like Dorian Thompson-Robinson at UCLA. Hi. Yeah. Sorry, I mean, um, I've been doing a weekly thing where I write a little around the Pac-12 because yeah. I feel like so many of the reporters on our desk are talking about the Oregon game, but rightfully so, we're an Oregon publication. But I've been doing a little around the Pac-12. What else is happening? What else are we noticing? Um, and it's been really interesting, like you said, the transfer quarterbacks. Another one that's not getting enough recognition is Jaden Delora. I mean, yeah. the guy had six touchdowns, I think, five hundred yards, too. a couple. Of, yeah, we yeah, you forget week, because so. he he went from Pac-12 to Pac-12, Pac-12 to Pac-12, right. but but still switching programs, right? Yeah. And I know he's playing Colorado, who's yeah. having their their worst season that they've had in a long time. I mean, er, earlier this year, uh, Owen McCown had two hundred and fifty-eight passing yards, and that was the most any Colorado quarterback has had in three years. Yeah, like the the, the, the Buffaloes are just terrible, but there are also some high high-quality, competitive teams within this conference, too. Utah slipped up a little bit against Florida, but they're not going anywhere. Yeah. USC is back, and they're back big. Washington appears to be back. They had a rough game with UCLA, but, I mean, you, you mentioned Penix. This was the first week that he really looked like he had any flaws. I mean, mm-hmm. I think going into that UCLA game, he led the, he led the nation in passing yards. Um, he's been unreal, and it's... It's especially interesting now with a season that the Pac-12 championship format has changed. Yeah. That the Oregon can't really afford to lose games and still win the North. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it makes it much more competitive. Yeah, we didn't even mention really Caleb Williams, uh, Cameron Ward, a guy who, who lit up Oregon, right? Um, so there's a lot of, I think, parity at the top. And then, you know, I was saying this the other day, like every single week now, you're going to pretty much every single week, you're going to have a game between some combination of those top five teams um you know so ucla is hosting utah next week that's a big one right i mean that's a huge one that's the first time you might see utah really get tested in conference play and that's a it's a game to see if chip kelly and this bruins team is you know better than we thought because i didn't think they were good before that washington game i you know i ate some crow for sure and then you know on on the Utah side, like Oregon State, they're a great team that just doesn't have a quarterback. They have extreme quarterback issues, but they were in that game until two goal line interceptions. So Utah, like, you know, they're going to slip up at some point, who you'd imagine. So it's cool to see, but it's also cool to see that all these teams are somewhat alive. They haven't taken an awful loss yet. So You mentioned that Utah-UCLA game, and Brady was talking about this too. You can't lose a lot of games and still make that Pac-12 championship game with the new format. So that UCLA-Utah game, the loser is going to be in a tough spot. They can only really drop one more game, if not even. But let's move on to the pieces. Brady, this was your first time at a football game or covering a football game. Um, just you you kind of wrote the gamer on the defensive side. Just what was your perspective as a student at the game? And t- take me through that. I mean, the the atmosphere was really, really cool. Just to be sitting by the window, listening to the crowd, and to be observing things from such a high angle is just a different view right everything's that high 50 yard line camera but you get to see the plays open up in front of you You get to see all these things develop but we're, we're sitting there and I'm, I'm able to look at the stat board and I'm looking at you and I'm going I think the Oregon kickoff t-girl has more rushing yards than Stanford's <laughs> offense tonight great lead <laughs> and then, then we're, we're doing more math and I'm like I think the duck has more push-ups in the first half than the Stanford offense has rushing yards. And it was just fun to, to sit there and have that kind of casual conversation while still making observations about the game and about these pieces. And because we were able to notice these things about how 
bad the Stanford offense had been and kind of like I was talking about with the three and outs just not really able to get anything going I was like well the obvious like there's the angle yeah, well, Brady Brady Beefs was pretty good. You know, some of those one-liners and leads got messed up by the the garbage time scoring. Before we, right. you know, before we leave, I just want to move it to Shane Shane's piece. I know Shane's got to go to yoga class in a second. <laughs> yeah, but Shane Shane wrote a completely different type of piece that it wasn't about the game itself. Shane was talking about you know student section, um, student section got in a little bit of trouble for calling out BYU you know expletives towards the BYU fans and team and religion just take us through that real quick and your your whole piece yeah absolutely and then i'll duck out real quick this is what happens in your fifth year senior finishing up your last term you have a yoga class at 5 p.m that's one credit um but you also <laughs> can't miss it because attendance is mandatory yeah really quickly yes yeah, so i was sitting near the student section um i wasn't at the byu game obviously i saw what happened um so i went did a little follow-up piece for the oregonian um kind of a tame student section game you know that's not saying much right because I think a lot of the piece was just about the fact that student sections now are so out of control. You All the quotes I got from students were essentially, it's like, what do you expect? You're mixing alcohol, um, heavily, heavy alcohol with young people who don't probably have much respect for the athletes. Um, they get around all these other people that aren't set chance for the most part, like defense or anything like that. And so people are just kind of making up what they think, and then it catches on like wildfire. Um, it was, it was a, I will say it was a packed student section. That was one of the more packed student sections I've seen and it stayed packed until really the fourth quarter started out right and then yeah of course you know what do you expect then right especially with a game that late but um no it was cool to see that you know just being more packed in terms of chance or not you're probably gonna get that I don't know how that changes um but I'm gonna duck out I appreciate you guys having me on and um, hopefully we can do this again soon all right thank you All Shane nice, yeah. before you know Shane's going off to his meditation right now before we leave I just wanted to pose this question to you uh, Brady, just because we were talking about the difference in there were expletives chanted towards the Cardinal during that, um, you know, second half scrum. Um, just the difference in those chants, and when you're talking about a school that has no religious connotation versus a BYU team that you know it's still an expletive chant, but it's it's going out of religion. I think there's a there's a difference because but. I'm just confused by the whole situation. I want to hear your guys' take on that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the the difference was those chants could have been said to BYU if it had been expletive BYU, expletive Cougars, and it would have been the same reaction as what it was against Stanford. The problem was it was directed towards the Mormon religion, specifically expletive the mormons um and that's where they ran into a lot of trouble that's where they ran into that controversy um that's where they got i mean no press is bad press that was bad press that made the students the university the football team all of that had a really really bad rep and we were talking about it a little bit at the stanford game when we could hear the chants coming from the student session we're like this isn't good but it's not as bad but I guess that's just the stand. Like Shane was saying, that's just kind of the standard of student sections now. What do you think, brother? Yeah, I think Shane said it pretty well. Uh, namaste. We miss him already. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's a it's a college football game. Everybody's drinking. You know, uh, not as deep of a rivalry as the Stanford game. So some of the animosity there was a little surprising. But yeah, you alcohol, religion, which Mormon religion, which I think a lot of people might think is kind of low hanging fruit, a little bit. I mean, it happened. You know, it's unfortunate, but uh, I think the discipline was there. You know, Dan Lanning, they issued the apology. The, it was better at the Stanford game. 
Yeah, I think so. one thing, like, Brady was talking to me about this and filling me on the situation because I wasn't as informed as he was on it, but just kind of Oregon seemed, and this is not, you know, condoning the chants at all. Obviously, that's it's not, you know, good to chant expletives towards religion, but Oregon seemed to be put in a situation where they were the, I guess, scapegoat of BYU kind of having their own issues with racism towards other teams. Um, and then BYU was like kind of, I want you to explain it because you know, but BYU kind of just victimized themselves in this in this scenario. Yeah, uh, the the timing of it was all r- really really odd. Um, a couple of weeks ago, BYU student section was in the news because they were playing a volleyball game against Duke, and there were some racially motivated, insensitive, explicitive comments made towards some of the players on the Duke volleyball team and it became a a pretty big issue it kind of circled around for a little bit and other volleyball teams across the country said you know what we're we're not going to come play at BYU we're not going to come play in Provo and it actually jumped sports which I thought was really interesting because um South Carolina women's basketball who is a studded program like they they don't need that game Mm -hmm. said no we're not going to come to to BYU either if this is if this is the kind of the standard of what happens here um, and I, I, it might, it might've been there. I did not see the public apology like Oregon gave after the game. Um, maybe it was there. I didn't see it, but that, that was the publicity that that was there. And then the next football game BYU played on the road kind of now BYU saying, well, this was, this is a really bad environment too. It was like the, the timing of that was, was really, really odd and, and kind of makes you wonder if this truly is just something that circles around college sports now Hmm. not a good thing i think that's a good point because you know one of my friends who was in in chain's article was went to pullman for the washington state game Mm -hmm. and talked about the the washington state fans you know saying expletives towards the ducks he got food thrown at him got told to you know go back to oregon and then you know after the game he was the one doing all the laughing because of how it ended uh, you know but anyways not going to get into that because that was already hashed out and Washington state blew that game and lost because they choked <laughs> but anyways i think you're right it brings up the point that this is just happening around college sports well professional sports too i mean funny enough high school in utah i mean how much drama has there been at vivint smart home with the jazz you know players right. getting popcorn thrown on them racial slurs it's sad but i mean it's the broncos just- are getting booed yeah, by me. <laughs> God, Broncos. All right. Anyways, we've gotten a little bit off track, but it was definitely relevant to hit that, you know, expletive towards the towards the Mormons. Um, and just, you know, I, I we all have different thoughts on this, and it's a confusing situation. But, you know, that's all we have for today, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back next week. <laughs>